Welcome to Affect Autism. Today we have with us Dr. Kathy Platzman, a developmental and clinical psychologist from Atlanta in Georgia in the United States. And we are speaking today about a topic that can be a little bit touchy at times. It's about avoiding the blame in floor time. And it doesn't necessarily need to be in floor time, but uh, we'll get into what we mean by the blame right after this introduction. Welcome, Dr. Platzman. Thank you very much, Daria. It's wonderful to be here as always, and I'm always happy to be with anybody that's involved with affect autism, especially you. <laughs> and thank you for returning to do another podcast with us. My pleasure. Um, for um, the, the reason this topic came up mm -hmm. is it was um, a discussion about a school setting and it was a discussion about figuring out what is the best way to work with children yeah. um, with developmental challenges, including autistic children, and how um, a DIR professional would work with staff in a school and how you would overcome the hurdle of a teacher or a therapist saying, if only the parent would do this, mm -hmm. then the child could, etc., etc. Um, or all the parent does is sit and watch TV. All the child does is swing in the swing back and forth all day. The parent doesn't even try. Whatever it is, it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a teacher. It, it might be a parent doing the blame game. If only... Um, my ex-husband would have done this, then my child wouldn't have done this. Or a father saying, if only um, my wife would have done this, then, you know, it, it could be, if only the school understood my child's individual needs, then my child wouldn't be coming home every day having had such trauma all day in school. Yeah. And so there are so many ways we can put the blame on others and they may very well be justified because it may be true. All of the things that you're saying may be true. But the conversation that made me think of doing this podcast, especially with a psychologist as, a, as yourself, um, was that really the DIR expert um, said that all you can do is focus on that very moment, what's in front of you, and looking around the environment that you are currently in, in the present moment. What mm -hmm. can I do to make this environment better for my child so that we can get some kind of regulated state? We can yeah. be co-regulated. We can get that engagement, that back and forth interaction, and move up that developmental ladder that we talk about in the developmental individual differences relationship based model, the DIR model, um, how can we forget about all the blame and just focus on the here and now and figure out the environment? Yeah, how can you focus on the here and now and forget the blame game is a, a human condition, you know, and, and especially when, when we have, we are, as a species, it must have something to do with our survival because as a species, we are very prone to blaming and self-blaming included. I put that under blaming oneself. Um, uh, we're very quick 
to take in criticism. We're very quick to take in negative thoughts about ourselves. We, I mean, I think it's a human condition to talk ill towards yourself, to blame yourself for a lot of things. And, and I don't talk to anybody uh, the way I talk to myself. I don't talk to myself really well sometimes. And so that it's a very complicated topic and it's very good. I think DIR has a, a special twist on guilt because a lot of parents feel feel they have gotten the message quite clearly from DIR that they're very important people to their children's lives. And that's, that's a problem because then everything is your fault. If you're the solution, then you're to blame. Well, nobody says that in DIR, but sometimes being put in that special position of responsibility comes with it. If you mess, if things don't go well, whose fault is that? Well, that's the blame game, isn't it? And uh, if, you, if you keep wasting your mental energy, um, your precious mental energy, your, your limited mental energy on recriminating yourself or others, then all that time could have been spent in the here and now, enjoying the moment, changing the moment, thinking about the future and what you are is caught in the past. And I think in this, these litigious days where everybody blames everybody for everything and then takes them to court, puts you in the mindset of, well, who caused that? With this, with this idea that if you find the guy who caused it, it'll never happen again. When we know we're guilt producers just as a species. So it's a wonderful topic, Daria. It's a wonderful topic. And, I, and it's always worth our mental energy to think it through so we don't do it to ourselves so badly. If you are your, your own best friend, um, I, I often use the analogy of losing weight. If you are your own best friend and you have nothing but the best, the best intentions for yourself and you're trying to eat well, and then on a particular day you eat terribly, what would your best friend do? Would they say, yeah, for the rest of your life you should eat terribly because you blew it this one day? No, you'd be saying, get back up on the horse, tomorrow's another day, here we go again. You know, this is great, maybe we learn something. Who knows what you're gonna do? But what we do know is we usually do horrible things. We call ourselves fatzos. We say, you'll never amount to anything. You'll never lose this weight. And then we might start blaming ourselves or other people that did this to us. So it's, it's a very good topic. Okay. So your question to me is, how, how do you avoid that blame game? And I, I don't know if we have to belabor how bad it is to play the blame game. But, but let's just take a moment on, on looking at the virtues of avoiding that blame. It doesn't mean that you don't correct your problems. It means you've identified your problems and you're ready to problem solve around the problems if you avoid the blame, the blame game. Um, you know, so, so if, you, if, you can, if you can really look at yourself and say to yourself, this happened for a reason, and you, you get really analytical about the reason, then you're much, much, much less apt to repeat, to repeat the problem. Um, so when we look at, at that example you gave with a school setting, um, and, and that, you, that the parent will have a child in a school setting or a program, and they will be aware of the teachers either literally saying, or what's the opposite of literal? I mean, kind of like, kind of unconsciously you know that you're blaming. You, you assume that they did. Yeah, you're assume, or they keep giving you tips on how to deal with this kid at home so that you can be, you know, so that you can get rid of the problem. 
you know they're blaming you, you know you're blaming you at that point. Um, so how do you avoid that is you know your child better than anybody else and you remind yourself that you know the child better than anybody else. Um, you do a lot of very positive self-talk and then you think where is that criticism coming from? You know, where, where, why are they saying, you know, and so, so if, if GIR parents, I think, do have a little special, special extra problem because we often are not using the model that the school system is using. So a child's working in an ABA world in school and coming home to a four-time home, well, that's why those, those teachers who are really motivated by wanting the best for your child but you have a different model than they do about what's best for your child. So of course, that's another reason just to analyze the situation and say, from that teacher's point of view, she thinks I'm mis misbehaving, but let's get together with our points of view. Maybe we need to have a dialogue so she understands or he understands what we're doing at home and we can be more mutually supportive or agree to disagree. So, the importance of avoiding blame has a lot of benefits to it. It keep it. I agree with whoever said it keeps you in the here and now. It makes this moment better, or it makes it makes you focus on this moment and how to make it better, as opposed to trying to locate who did what to whom. Um, and I guess we should stay a little bit on that blame game for a moment. Um, from a psychologist's point of view, one of our buzzwords is locus of control. It's a it's a buzz phrase. Locus of control. And if you feel that everything is controlling you, you know, nothing, nothing is your fault. Uh, the world is out to get me. The teacher doesn't understand me. If they only had recognized my child's problems earlier, blah, 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 blah. You keep putting the blame externally. This is very uh, apt to lead to depression on your part. Uh, because why? You're putting yourself in a helpless position. You're looking at the world as happening to you rather than you're an agent in the world. The more internal locus of control you have, the better off you are, the better well-being, the more well-being you have. So if you know what you can control and you and you control it, you're you're going to have more mental energy for the present moment. Does that make sense? It does, it does. And okay. to comment on a couple of things you said, um, I, I hadn't thought about the blame that you mentioned in terms of uh, parents blaming ourselves. So for instance, uh, something that I did a lot at the beginning and still do is if only I had really read this DIR stuff earlier <laughs> and applied it earlier because I knew about it when he turned three and we really didn't start doing it until he was four and a half, five. And we sort of were, but we really weren't until he was six or seven. And and look at all that time that I lost, where I could have been moving him up the developmental ladder, and right. and it it's a horrible, horrible feeling. Yeah, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> I, I once saw Stanley Greenspan talk to an elderly woman who had a a, 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 a child at home in his 40s or 50s, and he said he took he looked right in the eye and said, "It's never too early to do it, and it's never too late." Um, you know, it's, it, it really can be debilitating self-blame to think, I missed my moment, I should have started this early, what was I thinking, you know, if I had to do it again, what a jerk, you know, it, it leads you down the wrong path, it keeps you, you know, it, it, you know, it, who gave you 20-20 vision for the past? How do you know what would have happened if you had done it? Right. You don't know anything. It, and it's not important. 
And, yeah. and the other thing that, um, <clears throat> that can happen is that you'll hold up the other people in your child's life to such high standards that they could never meet. And then you can easily blame them. Like, um, you know, I, I expect them to know every single thing that my child does and, and expect them to react in, in this perfect way. Yeah. So there's the self-blame and there's the other blame. Yes, you hold everybody to the wrong standards and you're doing the if only game. Um, you know, if only you were the teacher you should be, if only you were the pediatrician that you needed to be, if you call yourself a psychologist, you know, I'll, 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 I'll now that's part of the, my internal uh, self-blame. You know, something, something will happen and I wish that hadn't happened for the kid. And, I, and I, the first thing I think about is me. You know, it's like, what did I do wrong? If I call yourself a psychologist and you, and you miss that, well, it's important if I really did miss something to say, you missed that, why did you miss that? As opposed to just, you missed that, what a jerk. You know, if I really did miss something and now I'm never gonna miss it again, I can actually give myself a pat on the back. I mean, mistakes happen. Um, right. But, but anyway, you see that self-talk that is involved with, with dealing with yourself um, is, is such an important thing. But again, I think you said the main thing, Daria, what it really does is rob you of the energy that you could better put to better use in the present moment, to make the present moment a wonderful moment. And, and you can't do that if you keep walking around with the if-onlys or the you better. You better do this. Right. And I think if there's one thing that I certainly want to stress to parents that I know you'll echo is to not be in a rush. Because, you know, coming from me, this is the most hypocritical thing to say, because I was that parent that had to rush and get everything done within, you know, they, they gave us the big package when you get a diagnosis of all the therapies and uh, funding to apply for and therapies to apply for. And, and I did it all like within four days or something. And some people, it takes a year to get through that paperwork. But I was like so militant about um, being on top of everything and not wasting one moment. And I have to say to parents that there is no Russian floor time. And that yeah. might even be a Greenspan quote. I'm not sure, but I've heard it from the courses that I took. And, you know, there is no Russian floor time. There's no Russian development. Um, you know, Dr. Tippy has said, who cares if your child, if, if your child is going to go to university in the first place, some people may not, some may not want to, whatever. But if, if your plan is that your child's going to go to university and your child it does want to go and is capable of going who cares if he goes at age 35 instead of age 17 or 19 or 20 or 25 there's no rush um right. you know yeah i think that's absolutely true uh there are no make or break moments i wish there were these breakthrough moments you know i think the media will always have these blinding moments of insight on people's parts and then after that everything's great that's not how that's not how life works um, I always use the analogy of uh, knitting an afghan. You know, you can sit night after night, you know, making these afghans, and they look exactly the same at the end of the evening than you did at the beginning of the evening. But over time, that thing is going to be a huge blanket. And so if we think of a golden moment that we don't pass up as just one little stitch in that afghan, um, it's going to be a beautiful afghan one day, but these things do not happen overnight. Rome was not built in a day. Um, so we have to always remember that. Yeah, and, and our children all develop. 
Um, certainly we want to encourage getting those emotional interactions, the back and forth communication, the circles of communication that promote the affect signaling and being able to relate and communicate with each other. But if it takes longer than we planned, it is okay because yeah. kids will develop, their trajectory is to develop and you will be developing along with them. And the more comfortable you get um, being a floor time parent, the easier it becomes to just be that way all the time. And then you're not feeling pressured to schedule in these 20 minute floor time sessions all the time because it just becomes a natural part of the way you interact with your child. Oh yeah, yeah, I quite agree. I quite agree. You know, I, I, a moment too to talk about mistakes or moments that weren't perfect or good moments that could have been good and aren't. Um, again, I think our mistakes are very valuable. And I think that um, a lot of times in floor time and in other therapies, a parent might think that a good session is one that has had no mistakes within it. But if you think about mistakes as helping us clarify under underlying capacities, and if you think of mistakes as I pushed him too hard because on some days uh, that he is able to take the challenge and on other days it's not. You know, a, a floor time session, I'm talking to therapists here too, a floor time session without mistakes is not too interesting and you probably aren't doing good floor time, did you hear the blame in that? Um, you know, you're supposed to really, yeah, I use the two thirds rule. I mean, two thirds of the time, you know, is about the most you want for good moments. Uh, you're supposed to make mistakes because you're pushing or you're wondering or the kid's profile is different that day. So you can even reframe a mistake as a really good thing if you learn from it. And you'll only learn from it if you're calm enough to learn from it and not do you know, one thing blame does is it gets our regulation out of whack. It makes us feel terrible about ourselves and we shut off our higher brain that way. So it's very important to not take, not shirk your responsibilities, but the blame game does nothing for you. And I hear that from parents all the time, especially when we talk about uh, doing the self-reflection piece where we videotape ourselves playing with our child and then view it um, in order to learn and, and see different things that you missed in the moment and how important it is in floor time to videotape and watch yourself periodically and see how your child's changing and see how you're relating and communicating with each other and how, um, you know, parents are really, really terrified of this at the beginning. Like, oh, oh, I want to make sure I do it right. Oh, I want to make sure I get the right video. Um, I didn't know what to do, so I didn't videotape it. Yeah. And, and it, it's this pressure that's put on us um, when yeah. really we just want to have a natural interaction on film to learn from. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. But if you asked me to tape myself and send you the tape, I'd get nervous. It's just a very human thing. <laughs> yes. You know, you obviously want to, you want to say, I'll just turn in the camera and see what happens. It's not real. It's easier said than done. Um, um, I remember when I was preparing to give a case study at, uh, when I was getting my certificate, I was fussy and worried and I had to have the best tape. 
And I remember talking to my colleague, Barbara Dunbar, and she was watching the tape with me and she went, you know, nobody's going to be looking at you. They're just going to be looking at the kid. And I'm thinking, well, that's not true. They're all going to be looking at me and they're going to notice that my hair is out of place and that I don't have good toys in the room. It was all about me. And she just looked at me and shook her head and went, pretty much nobody's going to be looking at you or is interested in you. And it was just the dose of perspective that I needed. Um, <laughs> So yeah, yeah, that's that's all all very very good stuff to avoid blaming yourself. Yeah. So from here, let's go on what you do, whether it's the teacher at school, the therapist in a, a therapeutic setting, <clears throat> a parent at home, a grandparent at grandma's house. Um, all you can do is assess how your child's doing in the moment. Are they regulated? Are they ready to share attention with you? Um, can you start to get some engagement and back and forth interactions? And if not, all you can do is look around the environment and figure it out. Is it too loud in here? Is the TV distracting? Are there siblings running and playing and fighting in the other room that are, is distracting? Um, yeah. is, it, is it too crowded and visually distracting for my child in here? Um, is this chair really uncomfortable? Is the food that I just fed the child giving my child indigestion? <laughs> um, whatever it is in the environment, how can I adjust that environment to the child? Well, well those are absolutely wonderful questions to ask. And um, when, when, when you think you're coming up against somebody that, that you know, things, this is not being a successful moment and you're trying to analyze why. I love thinking through just what you said. In fact, what I do is I have a little checkoff list in my head. And the first thing I ask is a, are physical things. Is, is this child feeling poorly? Is this, does this kid have migraine headaches? Is he feeling like he's under the weather and can't communicate to it? What's his color like? What's his posture like? Uh, what did he eat for lunch? You know. Uh, is there a bug going around? So there's, I kind of just mentally check. I might not be able to get the answers to those, but at least I wonder. Then I notice the sensory things. What is this child seeing, hearing? You know, is the environment too noisy? Is the environment less boring? Is it, does he need a little stimulation? What's his proprioception <coughs> like? What's his sense of balance like? Is he getting enough input? Can we give him even more input? Um, one of the most uh, difficult things for some children is to stay regulated when they're seeking proprioception. It makes them look very naughty and hyperactive. You know, so I ask that, could we provide anything more in this environment along these lines? And then I guess the next thing I go to is, especially if I know anything about the child's individual developmental capacities and his individual sensory motor differences, um, you know, is this environment too quick to give information. Are we not giving him enough time to understand what we just said? Are we not doing this or that? It gives us a lot of hypotheses. We turn into Sherlock Holmes at that point. You know, so you look at sensory motor processing, you look at language processing. And then the other thing, I, and I guess I'm a psychologist, you know, I will reveal myself, is that I often wonder what that child is thinking. Did somebody just give him bad news? Did something not just go his way? Did somebody just say something 
was somebody bullying? Did he see something in the in the schoolyard that wasn't that he didn't understand? What's going on? And then I the next thing on my mental checklist is I ask about the caretaker. Is that teacher overstressed? Is her day going poorly? Does she have too many students in that class? Does she have enough help? Does she, you know, uh, uh, you know, what's going on for her that we could provide support to? These are not questions to assign blame. These are, these are questions that might change the support in the room. Sensory support, emotional support, social support, physical support. Um, uh, you know, vis-a-vis -vis schools, I mean, every school system is different, every school is different. But sometimes, you know, that, that stock advice about being, if your child is having a developmental wrinkle or is developmentally challenged in some way, you've got to be the classroom parent. You've got to be at every bake sale. You've got to be the teacher's support, in other words. You've got to let that teacher know she's not alone, that you share the concerns and you validate the concerns, if they are valid. Um, sometimes, and, and I think this happens more often than we know, teachers are simply the most stressed. We, we should understand because parents are stressed too. The teachers are intimately, in, intimately on your child's side. They know that child very well and they feel like failures. They don't feel good about it. So they're feeling quite stressed. And to know that you know that sometimes is the nicest, the nicest thing you can do for children. Sometimes they don't want their vulnerabilities known, but you can assume that they're under stress themselves, and is there any way to alleviate that? Um, yeah. Oh, that, that was a fabulous, fabulous list, uh, checklist that we can all use to think about. And um, it's, it's sometimes so overwhelming because um, <clears throat> I think I've used this example um, in the podcast I did with Jake Greenspan. I said, it's so frustrating sometimes to feel like a parent of a child who has so many challenges when you see friends and siblings who have children who are neurotypical and they can just sit back and do whatever they want and their kids just develop and and achieve all these things with no seemingly no help at all and yeah. yet um in order to have my child make these jumps in development um at even three, four, five times uh, as slow as their children, I've got to work so hard in getting these interactions every day and in co-regulating them so frequently throughout the day. And, and it feels so unfair. And see, there's the blame game again. <laughs> you recognize it, but it's true. It's absolutely true. It's, it's a complete, I had a dad tell me a couple weeks ago that he uh, was invited to a breakfast in his child's classroom. This was his typical child. And he said he was sitting around and all these parents were, were criticizing and worrying about their kids. And he was there going like, you guys don't know what I'm comparing this to <laughs> and, how, and how precious this moment is and how okay everybody is. And then I said, well, why can't you extend that to your child at home? Why can't you say this is a good moment too? And he went, oh yeah, I guess I could. You know, um, there are moments that no one else will, will be able to appreciate ever, but you, you have this moment with your child that's so special. So. Yeah, and and, the, fact, and the fact that our children, even if they are autistic, are no different than any other child. They still have the same feelings, the same experiences, um, the same thoughts and worries, and, and they just happen to have some extra challenges around those in their 
reactions are no different than our reactions to things. They just might be more extreme in some cases. But, you know, if, if um, we get stuck in traffic or cut off in traffic or someone does something to us, we get dysregulated too. <laughs> and they're, they're just experiencing this um, in, in a different way than we are. And um, it is challenging to try and accommodate that and, and to try and figure it all out. But that's what avoiding the blame is about, is to try to make the present moment as comforting and um yeah and enjoyable to share joy with your child right i mean the only reason the blame works is if it gets you into a problem solving mode saying you know you know think think if you don't study for a spelling test and you go home and you say that teacher was out to get me you know and you finally realize uh, i think i didn't study for the spelling test you're liable to do better on the next spelling test because you've stopped the blame game and you got into problem solving, which is studying for those things really works. Um, uh, or, you know, so so uh, the only reason blame is good is because it rivets our attention on a problem that needs to be solved, rather than you need to sit and blame yourself so that you feel terrible and you know you don't enjoy the moment. That, that's that's the blame game. It doesn't do much. It's a little thing blame does. And you have to let it go at that point. And on a slightly diff different topic, but staying with the theme of blame, um, <laughs> what about parents who perhaps have children that blame them? So um, <clears throat> this is kind of turning the tables. Um, yeah. The child feeling like... Um, the parent is always doing something to aggravate them or the parent isn't there yeah. when they need them all the time and the parent and and this child is able to communicate that to the parents yeah that that's a very good question certainly would feel terrible as a parent to hear and hear that um it well, may we parents have all heard it so we're all pretty you know <laughs> you know and, and daria if you haven't it's in your future i can oh, guarantee no. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, that's what adolescence is like. You know, the, 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 uh, the years of heavy sighs, like, God, you are so dumb. Okay, <laughs> think about ourselves. When we blame others, like our children blame us, or mommy, you know, you did it again, or something like that. Um, when that happens, what is that really saying is, I can't blame myself. I'm, this feeling is too intense. You've got to take it on for me. In other words, that's a sign that the child is not in problem-solving mode. The child is in this isn't fair mode. I am not in a problem. You fix it for me. And oftentimes, when we when we feel our children blaming us for things, we do want to fix it for them. Again, we don't want to feel that creepy bad anymore. So we want to we want to change. We don't want to lean into that feeling ourselves, even though it's probably important to do. Um, but you know, if they're blaming us for something we really did and we need to apologize for, that's a very difficult thing for humans to do as well. Um, uh, but so, so, so if a kid though catches, like it's always the big brother's fault, it's always daddy's fault, it's always mommy's fault, it's the teacher's mean to me. Um, the teacher doesn't tell me what the homework is. I hear that all the time. That may be true, but it's still a problem to solve. Sometimes the problem to solve is, is a change on your part. 
Sometimes the problem to solve is a co-regulation situation where you've got to interact with the person that's ca causing the difficulty. But it's a, it's a cry that the child is over their head sophistication-wise. When it's your fault, everything is your fault, then, then you've got to go back to developmental levels, work up that ladder again. It's, you, know, you go low and slow, as they say. You go back and see where the rift is in the developmental functioning, and then that child will be able to problem solve much better after a while. So it's a little bit of a call that Betty's over his head, a, a, a blamer. So, so what does can, a parent do is what you're going to ask in the moment. I was right? going to say, can you walk us through doing what you just said, going back low mm -hmm. and slow? What does that mean to go back low and slow and go through that developmental ladder? Okay, so uh, let's, let's just use the, the example of uh, the spelling test. So the kid comes home having flunked a spelling test and says to you, why didn't you make me study? This is a pretty sophisticated, but I, I think it's an easier thing to use. Uh, uh, my mom is a jerk. She didn't make me study. Uh, you, the first thing you want to do is go like, what am I, your study guy? You know, you can think of how, how you might sarcastically deal with that or something like that. But if you really use your DIR brain and say, he, he, he is overwhelmed with guilt. He doesn't know what to do with this feeling of failure. He doesn't know. What are you going to do? You're going to say, you look, you're, you're really upset. I'm, uh, you really are upset about that grade, aren't you? You haven't said, you know, they might even say, yeah, I am upset. Why didn't you make me study? They still could go back pinging you, but we, you, you concentrate on that feeling a little bit. That is one lousy feeling you're having. You must feel so bad right now. And you sympathize. I'm sorry. That's feeling, you're feeling that way. And I, I do wonder, I do wonder what we could do about that. You know, you, you get to that problem. Do you have any ideas? Well, if you were a better mother, that's the idea I have. You should be a better mother. And you could go, well, I think I've got some other ideas. I mean, I'm, I, you know, you, you don't get defensive. You don't, you don't get defensive. You go, I, 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 just, I just don't want you to have to have this experience with spelling all the time. So I just have some other ideas. If you're interested in them, I'd love to tell you them because I've got some ideas about it. Then he may not be interested in your ideas right then because he's, you know, but then again comes the next spelling test. So it will come up over and over again. And then you'll finally get to the, I wonder if you need help studying. I'm happy to help you study. You know, um, so you put that down into a more, a more kind of a typical blame, the kids blaming you because, uh, no, I have no friends. You know, and somehow you, you know, it'll be just that, it, it usually is misplaced. The blame is usually misplaced. So there's, that's that one scenario for misplaced blame. And then there's a scenario for well-placed blame. You know, uh, I got too busy and I, I know you have no, uh, I know you have a hard time remembering your homework and I know you depend on me. And I know I had a bad week last week. I'm so sorry and I apologize. And what I'm going to do about that is I'm going to program my, watch that goes off every night say let's go over spelling together you know you own the part of the blame that you are to be blamed for but you also let yourself off the hook because you yourself got to problem solving mode right so that's the spelling example the real examples that come much more out of the world of autism and developmental challenges might not be as silly as that one they might be ones that really, really hurt our feelings and that really, really we are to blame for and we don't know what to do because you can't take the diagnosis away. 
you can't make life easier for a kid whose brain is not wired for what it what society thinks it's wired for and and so everybody's to blame but again does that blame game help not really not really so the kid can legitimately feel you know you talk to parents who are divorced and and the kids miss the fa the father or miss the mother they're not living with both parents are they to blame yeah they are could they have done a better job yeah does it do anything for the present moment no so you have to deal with that and say how can i get how can i make this better and if i can't how can i help you accept that it is this way it's really hard it's really hard so um i i think we've laughed about this before daria that every child with a developmental challenge should have the t-shirt that in front says i would if i could but in the back it says but i can't so i don't Mm -hmm. But parents need that T-shirt too. They they can only change what they have control over, and then they have to let the others go. So that's a sad thing. There's a sad thing involved in that, mm -hmm. you know. So it's it's really it's really all about embracing feelings that are usually overwhelming and how you do that. And blame, oftentimes, is the thing that that diverts the diverts the feeling that you can't tolerate, and you make it somebody else's fault. You know? So it really is all about affect. <laughs> Absolutely. Greenspan Green talks about it's all affect tolerance. It's all yeah. the ability to tolerate a feeling that's really difficult to feel. And to not only to tolerate it, but to lean into it. Not only to lean into it, but lean into it until solutions come up. In other words, be calm that you screwed up. Be calm that you are to blame. But, how, but be calm enough that you start thinking how to make positive momentum out of this, how to make lemonade out of lemons. And if you, you aren't know? calm to be able to co-regulate, or if your child's not calm, to go back down the ladder to that co-regulation piece where Absolutely. you're getting, getting back to um, a calm and alert state where you can start to then move up the ladder again, engage and interact and start to have... I, I have never known it to backfire, ever. Yeah. Um, I think the most challenge um, for parents is that co-regulation piece because sometimes it can seem impossible if your child tantrums and tantrums and tantrums and, and you try everything and, and the only thing that happens is eventually it just stops because... Time does it. Time does it. Um, but it can be so, so um, tiring Oh, I mean, it takes the patience of Job. It takes unusual patience. I mean, freaky patience to do it. Yep, yep. I, I really do like to um, think that being proactive and, and using prevention helps yep. a lot, but I don't like the idea of preaching about that because that's blaming too like if Absolutely. you only would have been more proactive you could have avoided this meltdown because that's often true i know yeah. that if we rush my child through a transition he's going to have a meltdown if exactly. we need to cut his toenails that are so long that they're you know poking through his socks and yeah. giving him sores on his feet because he's rubbing against his shoes and dad needs to yeah. If we just suddenly sit him there and start clipping, he's going to freak out. 
But if we co-regulate and might take 20 minutes to talk about it and get ready and then do some fun distracting thing while dad's holding the foot and clip clip clipping. <laughs> so you're describing what I would call radical co-regulation. You will never not try it, you know? And, and sometimes even with radical, unending, effective co-regulating strategies won't work if the planets are not in alignment. So there is a random factor. There is an irony involved with all of this. If you did all the right things and it, you still had a meltdown, oh well, it happens, right? How do you let yourself off that hook? Well, you better, because that was random. You know, there is a part of it that's just beyond our control, but part of it that's within our control. And, but what really, I, I love it. You're a gorilla co-regulator, Dar Daria. You sound like a, you know, you, you really do understand its value and you never don't try it. And if that were true in practice, it'd be wonderful. <laughs> but we, we, we all do our, our best. We always aim to do our best, for sure. Um, sometimes I, I think that it's almost um, some parents who really do experience a lot of the meltdowns, um, a lot, a lot more than I do, certainly. Um, it's almost like a mild form of post-traumatic stress disorder because every day you don't know when it's coming, you don't know what's going to happen, and it takes such an emotional toll, and nobody can tell another person how to feel or how they should feel. Um, what might be completely traumatizing and terrorizing for one person might not really affect another person in the same way. It's so true. And there are some families and cultures that allow, it's acceptable to dysregulate at times and other cultures, you know, or, or families, uh, you know, don't like that. I think a mistake that can be made with floor time therapies is to co-regulate, like everything that's not a co-regulated moment is a bad moment. When in fact, what the kid needs and what the parents need and what we all need is to lose our cool and recover. We need to learn that too, since there's nobody that lives a life without losing their cool on a regular basis. Uh, and, and I guess it's also to get too too slow, you know, too logy, and then bring yourself up. Both, we have to have the ability to lose it and come back and fall and fall asleep and come back. Uh, you know, get, get too high and then recover, get too low and then recover to normal. But both, you know, so, so again, we, we don't like meltdowns, meltdowns are fun, but we want to still push this kid up so that they can feel the meltdown coming and then come down. That's kind of like radical good floor time, but sometimes people mistake it and just go to the no stay calm all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, that's no fun, that's no fun at all. No one would ever go to a rock concert if that were true. And it's not realistic. Um, and right. I, think, right. I think your point is that um, things are gonna happen and the most important thing is how we deal with it, how we cope with it, how we also reflect on it. And depending on your child's developmental level, you can reflect with the child. Like, oh, um, I was really angry earlier when I found out about blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, but I'm okay. And, yeah. and I'm okay now. And yeah. it must have been scary for you to see me angry or whatever. Yeah. Um, to be there are some families that just can't do that. They, they, when they get dysregulated, they stay so dysregulated for so long that they don't even know how to repair it. So what you just said is a great trick. I mean, and some people just as people can apologize. They can go, I know I, I, know I, 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 know I misbehaved, 
but I'm okay now. Mm -hmm. I mean, other kids never hear that from their parents. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, another mistake that you can make is you don't, you have to model, you have to model this losing your cool and coming back and losing your cool and coming back. Or saying, I feel like I, if I don't leave this room, I'm going to have a temper tantrum. It's, those are all good things for a kid to see because it gives them more ways of dealing with it within themselves when it does happen. Because, you know, and, and, yes. And in the middle of a meltdown, <laughs> to say to a kid, we're just having a bad meltdown right now, might be a really nice thing to do to begin to get away from the blame game and to get going again. The opposite of blame is problem solving. Right, because they say that a lot of times the kids, when they're adults and they reflect back, they say, I just thought everybody felt this way, and therefore, when I couldn't handle it, I thought something was wrong with me. So right. to be right. for them to be right. able to see that we all go through this, um, but yeah, it's certainly not an easy thing to do and not something that's comfortable for, for people to no. do. No, I mean, you learn what's acceptable. You learn by watching your family growing up, what is, what's, what is it okay to lose your cool about? What is it okay not to lose your cool about? And it's quite different by family, family by family, culture by culture. And floor time is so good um, that, you know, it's really starts off as being about the child, but ends up really being about the family and everybody grows and develops and um, is... Yeah has such better relationships because of it. The R and D-I-R for relationship-based. You said it. You know, it starts with the technique and it ends with being a philosophical change in the way you live. It's, a, it's paying that good attention to relationships and everything that goes into them. You get the world with it, which is why <laughs> parents feel so privileged at times that they stumbled on it. Um, or, or that, that somebody had thought all this stuff out, you know, it, it's, it's wonderful. It's really a wonderful way of, of being in the world, I think. Well, let's keep spreading the word about floor time and the DIR model every chance we get. <laughs> all right. You, if you do it, I'll do it. I think you're doing a better job at it than most people. I'm telling you, affect autism is the bomb. It's wonderful. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today, Dr. Kathy Platzman from Atlanta. Um, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I deeply, deeply appreciate it. And everybody, you can see the blog post with this podcast to find some links to what we discussed. And if you have any comments or questions, please feel free to post them in the comments. And until next week, Here's to Affecting Autism.